Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, well, even more than that, who was raised to life. Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Before we dive into this last sermon in our, our eight series on Romans 8, I want to mention to you that next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And you might not have even known there was such a thing. But about 50 days after Easter Sunday, there is on the church calendar Pentecost Sunday. And it's not one that we celebrate as often as we celebrate Christmas and Good Friday and Easter and all those, Palm Sunday. Uh, and yet it's on our calendar. And this year... Uh, we're going to celebrate Pentecost Sunday. This celebrates the day that the church was waiting in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit came and they were able to spread the gospel and the church was launched that day. And so it was a big day in the church's history. And so next week we're going to talk about that and about the Holy Spirit and specifically about the church launching and being on mission for Jesus. And we're also in participation with um, other congregations that we're networked with through the Church of God in Anderson. We're going to be taking up a special offering that day uh, to, to help underwrite the costs of missionaries. They're trying to start a fund for that. And so we'll have more details about that uh, next week. But wanted to give you a heads up. Uh, Brad will probably remind you at the end. We've got a little video we'll show at the end of the service today. But wanted to explain a little bit about what that's about and what our service next week will be about. And so we'll look forward to that. Romans 8 that we've been in for uh, the last several weeks. We have been studying some fundamentals of our faith in hopes that by recapturing and reminding ourselves of these important central beliefs in our faith, we will find again the life and peace that God intended for us to find through life in Jesus Christ and being led by His Spirit. 
And so we've been looking at that in various phases and we come to the last one today. And I've asked my daughter to help me out with it. Uh, so with the intro this morning, so uh, Hadley, if you want to come up, we're going to, we sing this song at bedtime a lot, and so I asked her to come help me out. Here, you want to hold that? You want me to hold it? <laughs> we'll hold it together. All right, you ready? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is. Will you sing it with us? Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Give me five. How many of you learned that when you were a kid? <laughs> Almost everybody, a lot of us did. And uh, childlike faith is something incredible, isn't it? You just tell a child that Jesus loves them and it's like they already know. Uh, they accept it. They rest in it. Just like they rest in the love of a good parent that faithfully loves them. Uh, you know, maybe you're not a perfect parent and yet you love your child and they can tell and they rest in that. Uh, you know, lots of studies have been done that have shown the difference it makes in a child's life when they know that they're loved. Uh, when they have a safe place of love that they can rest in. Man, it just all completely changes the trajectory of their life. It's incredible. The power of love, and not just the power of love, but the power of being assured that you are loved. And we're going to talk today about the assurance that we have of God's love for us and the difference that that should make in our lives. And the truth is that as we get older, uh, some of us are blessed, it seems, to be able to retain that childlike faith, and that's awesome. And others of us grow up to struggle with the belief that God truly does love us. Maybe it's circumstances that have happened in our life. They're like, man, this doesn't feel like God loves me when this happens or when that happened. You know, for others of us, we just, you know, if you're like me, you overthink things. And, and then you start wondering, well, you know, what about this? And what about that? And you, you, doubts creep in or whatever the case is. A lot of times I think it just comes down to... Um, it feels like such an intangible thing. We can't see God with our eyes like we see one another. And so it's hard for us to believe that we're loved. We, we don't often have this feeling. You know, we might get it sometimes during a song or something, but we don't have that love feeling that we associate with love. And so sometimes we doubt God's love for us in a way that we didn't when we were children. So we're going to talk today about this love because this Romans chapter 8 all that we've learned from the beginning that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because you've been transferred out of slavery to sin and out of being a slave to the law and now instead of trying to earn your way into heaven you are free if you are being led by Christ we talked about what it means to be led by Christ and led by his spirit 
and that that involves putting to death the deeds that you used to live in, the ways that you used to walk in, to walk in a new way of life that is of the Spirit, and that we can do that very practically through things that, you know, it's a combination of our effort with His power, and that the Holy Spirit can lead us in a path that leads us to a new way of life. We've talked about uh, the fact that we are children of God, that we overcome in trials, and we're going to talk more about that today. We talked last week about the hope that we have and how we, uh, in this season between Christ's resurrection and His return, we are in this season of what, what the Apostle Paul called groaning, where we have this taste of the life that we'll have in Christ fully someday, but we're, the world is not there yet, and there's so much brokenness in the world and in our lives, and that sometimes all we can do is come to God with not even knowing the right words to pray and just trust that the Holy Spirit's going to come alongside us and that God will know the cry of our heart and will hear the Holy Spirit groaning alongside us and will act. So in the context of all this, knowing that the early church in Rome was suffering for their faith, knowing that they were pursuing this life and peace, the Apostle Paul writes this this letter and this central chapter and he concludes it with these powerful inspirational words right they're inspiring to read the, the words of nothing can separate us and the way it builds and, but I don't want you to just leave inspired today I want you to also wrestle with the magnitude of what this could mean for your life This passage begins with language from a courtroom. Questions like, who is against us? Who will bring a charge? Who will condemn? It's God who justifies. It's Christ who intercedes on our behalf. We have all these words like we're in a courtroom. And we're the accused. And, and Paul's wrestling with what hope do we have in this courtroom? Knowing that, yes, we did it. <laughs> we're guilty. What hope do we have in light of all that? And he falls back on and calls on this whole chapter of we're all who are led by Christ. Are, there's no, no longer any condemnation. That that's how we began chapter 8, right? And so now it's coming back here at the end with this resounding yes to our freedom in Christ and to the love of God in Christ Jesus for the believer who's following Jesus. And we're going to come back to that courtroom scene at the end. But here at the end of Romans 8, he says, he starts asking these questions. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? He lists off tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, things that they faced in that day. A famine happens nowadays, we hardly even know it. You know? Just churn out some more Cheetos. You don't even need... You don't even need to grow food. Just, you know, manufacture it in a plant somewhere. Who knows how they grow those things. 
<laughs> but in their day, a famine strike, a, a crop get wiped out, and it was hard on a lot of people. Battles, war, was common. Tribulations and persecutions for beliefs that didn't fall in line with what was popular, what was approved of by the government. They faced all these things. And the Apostle Paul asks, can any of that separate us from the love of Christ? In between these two verses, verse 35 and 37, where he says, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. There's, uh, Paul references a verse from Psalm 44, which interestingly is a psalm about, a psalm of suffering, about a time in Israel's life where, uh, you know, usually when Israel suffers in the Old Testament, it's because of something they've done wrong. And this is one of those rare cases where they've been faithful, in a, a season of faithfulness, and yet they're suffering. And they're crying out to God in that time of being faithful and yet suffering. And Paul references that and pulls that psalm into this passage to speak to some Christians who are trying to live faithfully and yet are suffering for their faith. And he says, you know, we like sheep are being led to the slaughter. And then he says, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. That, the Greek word that's translated overwhelmingly conquer is apparently a word that they think he may have made up or something because we're not really familiar with it. But it's like he put a couple of words together and it's almost like he was saying, you know, that we super conquer, that we hyper conquer, that we ultra conquer, whatever you want to call it. But that we, be, we more than conquer. So it's almost like we're conquering sheep. The way Paul sees it. I don't know how you feel about that. Being a conquering sheep. But it's better than being a conquered sheep. That's for sure. So he writes this to a suffering church in the midst of their trials when it must have felt like, does God even care? Here we are trying to live faithfully and yet we're dealing with all these problems and trials and tribulations. Does God even care? And the Apostle Paul says that even in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. It's interesting that in Scripture it's never about conquering the problem like the tribulation but rather those things are the means by which we conquer. Those things are the situations in which we conquer. Those are the things that God uses to overcome. And we have no greater example than the cross itself. That it's through the cross that Christ conquered and came to conquer death. There'd be no resurrection if not for the crucifixion. This is the way it works. And so in and through our problems, we overcome. Not just a little bit, but overwhelmingly. Through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced, Paul writes, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our King, our Lord. And bear in mind who's writing this. This is not some guy up, you know, at a university somewhere, you know, philosophizing about life, right? I don't think that's a word. We went with it. This is a guy who has been hitting the streets with this message and has been suffering for it. He's been beaten. He's been stoned within an inch of his life. He's limped on to town after town, beaten, battered, and bruised for the sake of this gospel, this hope. And it's this guy who would eventually die for his message about Jesus Christ, who says that he's convinced that none of these things have any power over us when you consider that they can't separate us from the love, the eternal love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's as though he's saying this, and this is our last we believe statement for this series. If you want to fill it out on your note card, you can. We believe hell can do its worst because we have heaven's best. It's worth saying amen about, isn't it? We believe hell can do its worst because we have heaven's best. What an incredible thought. But I want to spend a minute talking about how do we experience love. Because it's one thing to think about and say, okay, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. But what does that mean in my own experience of this Christian life? And, and beyond that, why does it matter if, if, I have, if I'm loved? Like, how does that affect my life? What difference does that make in my life? So I was trying to think about how to make this practical, both for my own brain to wrap around and, and for yours. And this, at the risk of sounding sappy, this is what we're going to try. I want to talk to you about how Julie's love changed my life. Just for a second. <laughs> Sorry, that's, that was rough. I got all emotional. I wasn't even expecting to. I'm going to tell you about it very matter-of-factly. <laughs> so... When you fall in love, you feel love for like when you when you fall in love with somebody, like there's a feeling that comes with that. But it dawned on me as I was thinking through this, trying to wrap my brain around, you know, why what's our relationship to God's love and, and maybe our love with one another could shed some light on it. It dawned on me that I didn't really feel anything when she decided that she loved me. I mean that's a that's nice, but that's not what gives me the warm, fuzzy feeling, right? It's my love for her that gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling. Uh, her love for me, she feels warm and fuzzy, right? <laughs> she feels this love for me. That matters to me, but it's not an emotion for me. It's an emotion for her. It's a, th does that make some kind of sense to you? Okay. So when we say that God loves us and Jesus loves us, and we wonder, okay, well, why don't I like feel that he loves us? Well, it might be worth noting that you don't feel when anyone loves you. I mean, it's perfectly possible that a stranger might fall in love with you that you think is the ugliest thing to strike planet Earth. Right? 
or the meanest thing and you don't like them at all and you wish they'd go away. And if you feel anything, it's hatred, right? Uh, but they would feel warm and fuzzy towards you still, right? Because they love you. So it's possible that God might love you and you not feel a thing. Just pointing that out. But when Julie started loving me, it changed something in me. Uh, I was a lot more confident of a person, just in life in general, when I knew that this beautiful woman loved me and was devoted to me, right? It just changed the way that I interact with people. It changed the way that I, I mean, you should have seen, I was a shell of a man. <laughs> you should have seen me before. No, but, but really, if I think back to that time, I just wasn't quite as confident in my interactions with people and my just general day-to-day -day life. And if I think about it still today, like especially I notice it in ministry situations, if I'm doing some kind of ministry and she's out of commission, it makes a difference for me. When she was really sick with Peter and was out for a long time, or just the season of you know, dealing with small children and not able to help me in ministry like she used to help me and we used to be more like a team and partnership and when that separation occurred it made a difference for me. It's not like I couldn't function or I couldn't preach a sermon but it just wasn't as comfortable or confident for me. Same goes in social situations. You know, all of us get in awkward social situations sometimes, right? You show up somewhere and you're like, ooh, this is awkward. <laughs> you know, it's a lot better when you have someone beside you that you know loves you. It is. It makes a big difference, right? You just feel there. It's not that you can't do it alone, but there's a confidence and a peace that comes with knowing that you have someone that, I, if I have to go to a minister's meeting, ministers are strange people. I just prefer it when Julie can be with me. <laughs> Have you experienced something like that from someone's love in your life? Uh, even the love of my kids to some degree, right? It gives you confidence to know that these little children love you. It gives you, uh, there's just a, a warm sense of assurance that comes with that. Your parents, even as an adult, the love of your parents for you, just knowing. Even when they're gone, just knowing that someone loved you. It makes a difference. How much more then, knowing by faith that the God of the universe who created it all and crafted you with his hands loves you so much that he gave his son for you. And that now if you are in Christ Jesus, this one who gave his all for you, if you're following him, persevering in this life, even through troubles and trials, that his love, like nothing can take it away from you. There's no separation. You might be separated from another person by one of those things on his list. But nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus because nothing can stop them. Can God be killed? 
Jesus died and overcame death. Death has no more power, no more sting for him, nor for anyone in him. And so when you have by faith this confidence that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, it comes with a sense of confidence. Don't look for God's love in the form of a warm, fuzzy feeling that you're going to get because, ooh, God loves me. (laughs) It doesn't even work like that in our relationships. What love does when we realize that someone cares for us is it gives us confidence and peace and assurance. We're not alone. Someone cares. People can go through anything that hell can throw at us when they know they're not alone and that they're loved with a love that can't be taken away. How do you receive such a love? How do you find confidence in such a love? You follow Jesus. You say goodbye to the old way of doing things that wasn't getting you anywhere you wanted to go. And you say yes to a new way of life that's available to you through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. This is how Christians through the ages have been able to face down death, tragedies, distress, difficulties of every kind. We have, for example, the, martyr, the first martyr recorded for us, Stephen, who as they stoned him to death, found within himself the ability to echo the words of our Savior on the cross. Father, forgive them. How do you have that kind of peace? Instead, his face began to shine. You have confidence and peace when you know that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, no matter what you face. So this chapter 8 starts with no condemnation and ends in no separation. I want you to picture yourself in a courtroom, standing condemned. Close your eyes if it helps. You messed up, you know you messed up. And today they haul you out of your jail cell in chains and set you before the judge. Your accuser, Did you know that Satan means accuser? Your accuser stands opposite you and begins to run down the litany of your crimes against God and humanity. And as he speaks, your heart begins to fail you. He's perhaps laying it on a little thick, but you know that you can't honestly hope to escape a guilty verdict. But before the judge can give his verdict, an advocate steps up beside you and simply says, Your Honor, 
I believe you'll see that this one is mine and that I already took care of the sentence that he or she would have owed. And perhaps the judge then says, Indeed, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And they remove your chains. And dumbfounded, you step out of the courtroom. They give you new clothes to replace your jumpsuit, and you walk out a free man, a free woman. And as you do, someone slips a piece of paper in your hand. And you look down, and the cover letter reads that your adoption has been completed. Adoption? Impossibly, it appears you've not only been set free today, but you've been adopted by the king's father and are now a co-heir to the throne. And there's a personal handwritten note from your newly adopted dad at the bottom of the stack. Son or daughter. I know this must all be hard to take in, but know this. I love you. And now that you are mine, there is no evil that can befall you that we won't overcome together and turn to something good. This is the Christian experience. And it leads to a kind of confidence and peace that the world can't understand. It's the kind of peace that might let you sleep in the bow of a ship in the midst of the fiercest storm. It's the kind of peace that lets you think of others while you're hanging on a cross. It's also the kind of peace that makes the outrageous teachings of Jesus possible, like love your neighbor as yourself. Or even love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Stop committing adultery in your heart. Stop fostering anger and hatred and foster love instead. Avoid, avoid breaking up families and, and don't worry so much about where your provision will come from. All these things that Jesus says and we're like, how do you even get there? You get there by knowing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And when you have that knowledge and that faith, then comes a peace and a quiet confidence that has been astounding the world for 2,000 years. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And I hope that you'll find peace today. If you haven't been following Jesus or you just feel like you need to get your life right with God again, know that life and peace comes in knowing that you're loved by God. And that the death of Jesus on the cross is not up for debate. It's a historical fact. The debate is over what it means. And those who knew Jesus best and witnessed those events 
have told us what they believe it means. And that's what we've been studying through this series. That we can have life and peace through Jesus Christ. And they believed this strongly enough to suffer dearly for it. Believing nothing could separate them. Keep in mind, they were witnesses to the whole thing. And they believed that nothing could separate them. Not even hell's worst could compare to heaven's best. So my prayer for you is that you would seek after heaven's best, that you'd believe, that you'd take heart and take faith in the God who loves you. And know that nothing can separate you from the love of God in our King, Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your love, for this assurance. God, we confess our doubts, our inability to fathom this life-altering reality. Holy Spirit, strengthen us with the power to grasp how high, how deep, how long, how wide is the love of God to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Teach us to know this love and to rest in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.